Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. The federal government plans to withdraw approval to build a maximum security prison on a former surface mine in Letcher County, Kentucky. The change came about after a group of people incarcerated in federal prison sued the Bureau of Prisons last year. In the lawsuit, they argued that prisoners weren't provided information about the environmental assessment of the land that the new prison would be built on. U.S. Representative Hal Rogers, a Republican who represents Letcher County, vowed to push the project forward and said the federal government's withdrawal of approval was a delay and not the end of the project. Two Harvard Law School professors have released the results of a comprehensive analysis examining the sentencing records of 1,400 federal judges in over 5,000 cases from 1999 through 2015. They found that no matter the judge's political affiliation, Democrat or Republican, African-American defendants tended to receive longer sentences than those of other races. Also, judges appointed by Republican presidents sentenced African-American defendants to prison terms about 90 days longer than did judges appointed by Democratic presidents. Judges appointed by Republican presidents were more lenient with women defendants than were those appointed by Democratic presidents, sentencing women to two months less in prison than similar male defendants. Alma Cohen, the first author of the study, observed that conservative judges are more likely than other ones to assume that if a woman committed a crime, quote, it must not have been her idea, or she might have been forced to do it by circumstances, unquote. This week, ProPublica exposed a secret Facebook group for current and past Border Patrol agents. The online group joked about the deaths of migrants, racist depiction of burritos being thrown at Latino members of Congress, and misogynistic memes involving Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Created in August 2016, the group named I'm 1015 has roughly 9,500 members. 1015 refers to the CBP code for Aliens in Custody. The ProPublica expose comes only three months after public outcry when a website dedicated to law enforcement accountability, America's Police Problem, reported on 40 selfies from the Feeling Cute Challenge. The selfies were posted in a Correctional Guard Facebook group with 30,000 members called Correctional Officer Life. The CEOs had posted selfies in their corrections uniforms with captions making light of their horrific duties, such as Feeling Cute, might just gas some inmates today, IDK, and feeling cute might shoot your baby daddy today, feeling cute might take your homeboy to the hole later, and feeling cute I'm still going to lock you down. After news coverage, the Correctional Officer Life Facebook group went private. This week, we spoke with participants in the struggle to close DeKalb County Jail in Atlanta, Georgia. They walked us through the launch of the movement there when prisoners smuggled out photos of horrendous conditions inside, which were posted on social media by family members. 
Since then, a wide range of people have worked to support the prisoners by writing letters to them, aiding their families who are also organizing, and attending both confrontational demonstrations and somber vigils. This struggle has connected deeply with the people across the Southeast, both due to the courage of the prisoners and their outside supporters, but also in its resonance with other burning issues of today. Conditions inside immigrant detention facilities, the scandals inside Rikers Island Jail, and overcrowding nationally in the wake of the opioid crisis. I'm Earthworm, and I've been a part of the DeKalb Jail struggle since April. My name's Harold. I've been involved in the DeKalb Jail struggle since April, and I'm just a person who's been in the DeKalb Jail several times in my life. My name is Joanna. I've been involved in the DeKalb Jail struggle since April. In early April, there was a series of photographs that were taken as screenshots from a video visit with three men in the DeKalb Jail who had made homemade signs out of lunch trays, styrofoam lunch trays that said, please help us, we dying, and DeKalb Jail is mistreating us. And one of their mothers posted these photos on Instagram and they started going viral. And as a response, there was a demonstration on April 12th uh, where people brought bread and stormed into the lobby of the jail uh, to bring food to the prisoners. Um, there was a very noisy demonstration with fireworks um, and a lot of conflict with the guards there. And the prisoners inside were very enthusiastic about um, the demo that was going on outside and were participating by um, making noise themselves. The jail is a very like horrible place. It's probably the worst place I've ever been to in my life. The food is almost unedible like there's mold in it like it's not safe to eat the food there there's also mold in the walls on um the lower floors of the building which is where um people with misdemeanors stay who have only been there for for less than three days the water fountains are pretty much unaccessible like you can't get there very little water comes out of it um whereas on the upper floors um which is where um people with misdemeanors stay who have been there for more than three days or where um most people with felonies are sent to. Um, their sinks actually had the reverse problem and overflow about four to five times a day. And people have to get buckets and put all the overflowing water into their toilets to, to prevent their cells from like flooding. And this also causes problems that on some of the lower floors, there's like sewage drippage leaks into their cells from those upper cells. For myself, like when I've been in there and been released, like I've had some of, I've never experienced coughing fits in my life until like leaving the jail and like having like just very intense coughing fits uh, that I assume came from like the bad air in there. And also like for the first few days after getting out of the jail, I've had like my snot be the color blue, like sky blue. The guards there just lie to you constantly like I've been in there before and they told me I wouldn't be seeing a judge until like three or four days from that time and then I ended up seeing a judge like nine hours after that so they either don't know and they don't care to know or they are liars like it's one of those two options people get put in solitary there and it's just um very horrible conditions so at April 12th there was a group of I would say around 50 people that congregated outside of the jail um, and end up marching from like essentially just down the block to directly outside of the jail um, and people were like banging drums and holding up signs and starting chants and stuff like that and 
then there was this call on the megaphone that like we should go inside so the guards were like very disorganized clearly did not know how to handle this and people ended up just being able to like open a door that like a guard wasn't by and storming in so then people were chanting inside the lobby people who were being released at that time started like joining us and it was a really i think empowering event and so then we ended up being like pushed outside and four people were arrested that night but there were a lot of attempts of like people like linking arms around cop cars to prevent them from driving away and i think a lot of people felt very empowered to do things that other protests and protestants um haven't had because like it was the first thing and everybody was very excited and like inmates were holding up signs and banging on their windows and there was like some engagement with the inside and we've been able to maintain that sort of connection throughout further demos with like actually communicating with inmates um which i think has been very powerful i'll say that uh just to give some historical context there's been um various noise demonstrations outside of the cab jail since at least 2011 and um some of the prisoners or some of the inmates there who we've spoken to who who were in there on april 12th have said that they remember previous noise demonstrations happening so there is a collective memory of people who often are like arrested and put into that jail like they know that there are people out on the outside who regularly periodically come there to to show support and solidarity for those in jail multiple of the arrestees said that prisoners were very receptive very enthusiastic and supportive and you know like very nice to them and treated them like heroes after um they were arrested and put together with the other prisoners that was a very like unanimous uh response so in um 2018 during the uh 2018 national prison strike there was a noise demonstration that also went inside the jail lobby but um once the and we're making a ruckus inside but it was a smaller protest and once people once the uh jail staff came to like uh try to get people to leave like they willingly back like backed away and went outside to continue the noise demonstration and weren't conflictual there was no conflict with the police once they were outside Whereas, like, this one was different, I believe, because there was a much higher level of determination in the crowd to get this edible, clean, good bread to the prisoners who are experiencing, like, horrible food conditions. As people were in the jail lobby, people were being released and bonded out um, during the demo, and some of them joined in the demo and you know they still had their bag of personal items or their you know shoe shoelaces and uh they just joined right in it was a very clear message and the people who'd been in the jail really jived with it right away also in terms of broader reception outside of like what actually happened at the demo uh i think that there was a ton of support from the community because it seems that being in DeKalb jail and having an awful time there is a pretty ubiquitous experience in Atlanta. So even like the other night, I was talking with my Uber driver and co-rider and both of them had been in DeKalb and started talking about their experiences. And when we had people tabling outside of the jail, handing out flyers and information and collecting stories, people just passing by 
had their own stories or had relatives in there, had been in there themselves. Some of my old coworkers were in there. So a lot of the community rallied around this cause because everybody understood how bad it was and everybody seemed to be just sort of waiting for this boiling point where they could finally fight for it. Just to give like some statistical information, about 33,000 people are imprisoned at DeKalb Jail every year. The April 12th demo was really planned in just a few days. Uh, there wasn't much time to actually organize it, and so everything that happened there was very spontaneous. So after that, I think that then we tried to figure out what we could actually do with more time to plan something. So we started having more like community assemblies and community meetings. In terms of tabling, that was definitely a big thing that gained us a lot of community support and also taught us a lot about what was happening inside. And beyond that, there were also people scheduling meetings with inmates, trying to get on visitor lists, people writing postcards, stuff like that. So really, I think the next steps were trying to figure out as much as we could about this issue before like planning another demo, because our next real demo that wasn't just like a public assembly or something was May 15th. I would guess around like 120 people showing up, marching from a train station nearby down to the jail and ending up blocking the whole street there. And what I thought was really amazing was that rather than being like annoyed that like there was more traffic or whatever, a lot of people in their cars just started filming and started participating and cheering us on and offering their support. And even like some people were offering money and it was a really cool experience to see that happen. And also during that demo, Inmates were actually able to break through windows. Over a dozen windows were broken, and they were, like, passing out mold samples and notes. And one person on a lower floor we were actually able to communicate with. We would talk through the megaphone. They would yell out their window, which was, I think, a really unique experience and not something that we had anticipated, but was... I think also really powerful for the people inside and like we've gotten some postcards where people like didn't even realize that the movement was still happening and so having these noise demos at the jail I think is really invigorating in terms of encouraging organizing on the inside as well. One interesting aspect of the um, DeKalb jail mobilization has been like the uh, participation of the inmates early on during the mobilization. Some people had expressed skepticism of if like prisoners would be involved beyond just like supporting it because they're only in county jail and they'll probably like be getting transferred or being released or getting sentenced to a prison time and instead like we've seen like those over a dozen windows being smashed, which shows a level of commitment and coordination inside the jail. And also we've been giving out various phone numbers for people inside the jail to be able to call us and let, let people let, let us know their story and know what's going on in there. We've had to use multiple phone numbers because some have been blocked by the jail. We've gotten so many phone calls from people and this just shows how dedicated people in and desperate people in the jail are to like the need for their conditions to change. I think it's also important to keep in mind that even though it is just a county jail and there are a lot of people who like aren't there for a very long period of time, there's also people who are there for weeks and months and some people have been there since like 2017. So it shouldn't be a long-term space, but people are spending way too long there without even indictments and it really is just sort of this purgatory where nobody really knows how long they could be there or what's happening with their case. The other interesting thing about April is the noise demo had happened on the 12th with the fireworks and that got on Fox News. And the very next day, really mainstream liberal group, National Action Network, had a demonstration outside on April 13th. It was just a few people, but that 
showed that the momentum was picking up, that different groups were interested in getting in on this action. In between the April 12th and May 15th action, on April 19th, there was a speak out of about like 45 or so people who showed up outside the jail to just talk about their experiences relating to the jail itself and other people who may not have been in the jail but who had still decided to come to voice their opposition against the jail. After May 15th, I can't remember the exact date, but at some point in early June, there were two things that happened on the same night, one of them being a vigil outside of the jail that was essentially like a metaphorical funeral for all the lives lost in the jail, especially considering that one man, Clarence Manning, had just died very recently. And the sheriff was refusing to talk about it and refusing to put out a press release about it. And then also on that same night, there was vandalism at the commissioner's office. There was, as the news put it, a banner that said expletive 12, um, a slang term for the police. And that definitely made the news and definitely made a splash. And then the day after the commissioner's office was vandalized, a commissioner actually said that she wanted to tour the jail un- like unscheduled and wanted to tour the parts of the jail that the sheriff had not allowed people to tour before. So I think that despite the fact that commissioners and the public always say that like, you know, they only want peaceful protest, it wasn't until this like not exactly peaceful action happened that commissioners really took it seriously. And keep in mind that people involved in the demos had been going to commissioner's offices and speaking at commissioner's meetings and like that didn't result in anything i think it shows that like they really cared more about like property damage than they did about like the actual abuse of inmates to to be like specific the vandalism that the news reported on was that over 50 windows were smashed out of the DeKalb county commissioner's office building clarence manning died on may 11th and we didn't know that when the may 15th demo happened there were four more arrests on the may 15th demo and as a result there was a noise demo the very next night may 16th to support our arrestees and pressure the jail to let them out but as it happens the jail let them out just a couple hours before the noise demo was scheduled to happen uh but the noise demo went forward anyway so that went on till 10 o'clock at night or 11 banging drums and making noise and the interesting thing i thought about that was It was only 40 or so people at the most, at the highest amount, but the police presence was absurd there. So the fact that there had been one or a few conflictual demonstrations meant that the police were forced to come out in top numbers. So that 40-person demo had well over 100 armed police uh, to accompany them. Also, after the May 15th demonstration at the noise demo the next day on the 16th, because of the like large level of like militarized police and uh, the repression people faced, two people from Atlanta took it upon themselves to come to the uh, demonstration armed to uh, protect and defend the uh, people uh, protesting. recently has been preparing for a new pro- a new demonstration that'll be on July 1st uh, and there's a very 
large poster for that's been put all around DeKalb County and in uh, Atlanta. And uh, on it, it has a letter that was compiled uh, of based off multiple letters that we've received from prisoners at the at the jail that we've put together into one. And uh, it says, To all y'all outside, I hear that you have been protesting for all the inmates. I really thank you guys for that. Hearing y'all out there gave me hope that change is possible. I'm writing to tell you the conditions in here are unlivable. When you inform the guards of the mold on, on the food, they act like it don't even exist. It took me two days without food just to eat it. The air sp smells of mildew. The toilets are left backed up. They don't run a the AC in every cell like a sauna. The grievances don't mean nothing. They can get away with murder and still be working the next day. Man, it was such a blessing to receive your postcard. I thought the hashtag Justice for Inmates movement was over with. I really hope this movement makes a difference to all jails, not just this one. Just because we are inmates and prisoners, our lives matter too. Please keep helping us. We dying in here. And uh, if you want to know more, you could go to the website decabjail.fail. We had several of the original burner phones um, and their Google Voice numbers blocked by the jail, so we just bought a um, legit phone from a provider. And we have that phone number. We've been taking calls, uh, and we're not sure right now if it's blocked or not. We have, and we might have to change the number again continually. But part of the work of taking those phone calls is writing down all of the different complaints and processing that information and making sure that it gets out to the media or whatever the people that we're talking to want us to do with it. There's also a lawyer who's expressed interest in doing a class action lawsuit, um, but we need grievances for that or else um, the courts would just throw it away throughout the lawsuit as not having met the minimum requirements or exhausting your other avenues of complaint. So we've been talking to people incarcerated there about keep filing the grievances even though it seems completely pointless, even though you don't get a hard copy and it's not even clear if they're saved in the computer system. Uh, do file those grievances because that creates a record that we can use, hopefully. And like I say, a lot of those uh, captives there believe that the grievances are immediately just discarded, but it's, you know, we can't be sure, but um, it's possible that those do create that record. Um, so keeping record of the grievances and getting people who call uh, in touch with lawyers who might be able to help them has been another aspect. Um, we reached out to the lawyer who's suing on behalf of Clarence Manning's family. And whenever we get somebody that calls us with something that we think could potentially be a lawsuit, we uh, give them his number. I think he's spoken with several different people. Um, or, you know, whenever we get a call from somebody who's interested in helping with, you know, who witnessed the death of someone in there. So the tabling that, we had, that we've been doing, like, we, we bring food and water and and literature and um stuff to be able to like sign up for learning more about the protest and like being for people to be able to write down their stories and we give the food and water out of course to anyone who wants it such as like people leaving the jail who are getting who are getting out of jail who haven't had access to like good food and now they'll have access to like fruits and snacks and clean water and also to like people coming to the jail to like put money on the commissary of their loved ones.
You'd be surprised how many people just walking by on the street have been in that jail. It's just, it's sort of a testament to how pervasive that jail is in that community that mm, any random person walking by this table will have a story about themselves or their loved ones being abused in that jail. Also part and parcel with the ongoing demonstrations is keeping in touch with Darnell and the other people on the inside that are organizing and trying to make sure that our messaging is still in line with what they want. We keep getting pressured from various people to come up with a list of demands, but we've refused to do that because our feeling is that it shouldn't be coming from us, the demands, but that the captives in the jail should be the ones um, coming up with those demands. They've contributed drawings to use as materials for the demos and stuff, and we've been making buttons and shirts out of the designs that they've contributed and just trying to stay in touch with them given the very restrictive phone and mail restrictions of the jail just to make sure that we're on the same page about how we're promoting things because we're not the ones experiencing that so there there are pitfalls that you could potentially um make errors and conceivably make things worse for them in there or um, make things go in a direction that is not helpful to them but I think that the fact that the people inside seemed so coordinated in their response on the 15th suggests that someone on the inside has been doing that organizing work in coordination with us because they knew about the 15th. And it seems unlikely that that response would have been that widespread with all the people banging on the windows and, you know, those things happening if it hadn't been for somebody in there circulating the word. So that felt like a success that we were doing that. In terms of how things have changed, like conditions inside the jail have changed since the campaign has started, we've received reports from um, people inside the jail that now at the end of every night with the last meal, they now receive a chocolate chip cookie and that uh, they, they now receive once a week milkshakes, which have never before been received inside the jail. Um, the the sheriff of the jail, uh, Sheriff Mann, has during the first um, month of the of the campaign was like very uh, outspoken on um, in, in the media saying that like there was nothing wrong with his nothing wrong with his jail and that it's one of the best in the country. And then after the May 15th demo, he's by and large stayed very silent, even though this has continued to get like widespread coverage in Georgia and some coverage nationally. We've also heard reports from other um, individuals there that uh, they've stopped receiving moldy food, or at least for the time being. But we're also getting reports that conflict with that, that the mold is still moldy and inedible. Even though we've gotten these very small victories, we still need to keep fighting and maintain interest and keep working towards like the ultimate goal of prison abolition and not just like, you know, now you get a cookie with your abuse. It is important to watch out for fails that look like victories like that. Like now people get a cookie. And I think if we were like a self-interested NGO, we would hold that up like, uh, look at us, we're so great, we won this victory. But really, that's actually just a very sad kind of gross concession for the jailers to make. Like, really, you get a cookie? That's the way to solve this. Some people involved in the campaign have been thinking through the possibility of, like, what if DeKalb Jail does close? Like, how will the carceral state re respond to that? Will, will they build a new 
more remote facility or will people just get transferred to like further away county jails or will they, the carceral technologies that are being developed just spread outwards into into everyday life like ankle monitors are organizing we want the complete destruction of the carceral system a lot of us involved in this campaign probably important to make sure that for any close the jail campaign there needs to be a hand in hand don't open a new jail campaign because that's a scary possibility of a defeat that looks like a victory where they close the jail but then they allocate a whole bunch more money for a new shiny jail that can hold even more people This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. If you or someone you care about has been affected by the prison system, you can call us to be interviewed or to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512. We also want your feedback and to share your story. Feel free to write us at KiteLine at WFHB.org. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.